Well, it may be the half-term holidays, and if you're visiting from another church during this time, well, welcome. Please uh, take a reading with you back to your home church, and if you're just visiting, well, welcome. Uh, but even though it's a half-term holiday, so much has gone on this past week. We had a great event down at uh, Hatfield Uni last week, burned down the uni, and it was just a really encouraging start. I, I'm quite excited about it in a quiet sort of way. It was, it was very interesting. And then yesterday we had a, a men's breakfast. I see Derek there. Was it a good event? It was great, wonderful. So lots of things still happening. Well, today we start a new series, eight weeks running up to Easter called uh, The Gospel in Life. And um, I think we've got a title page for that. And uh, it's been a, uh, it's been a, a great, um, interest for me just to prepare for this and I've been looking forward to it. The series is based on some teaching by a, a, a lovely pastor, a great thinker too, Tim Keller, who you may or may not be familiar with. Uh, in fact, the small groups, the life groups have all been given a, a copy of the book and, and some of the life groups may be actually working through the study guide that accompanies this. But I'm excited about this course, and, and uh, we're looking forward to teaching it. And basically what we're going to be doing during the next eight weeks is we're going to consider life as is, you know, the, re- the life we live in. Uh, and, and really we're going to be exploring how we work out the Christian life, the gospel, um, from Sunday p.m. to Saturday night. You know, we all know what we do here on Sunday morning, and that's great. But, but how do we work out the rest of it, you know? How do we live in the world that is while still being mindful of the world to come? How do we build Christian community in the context of the community around us? These are the kind of things, the real, the real nub issues. Where do we interface and where do we, we uh, disconnect? Uh, I'm going to actually, we may not do this every week, but I've already said to the preaching team I want to do this. I'm going to show you Tim Keller's introduction. It's about 10 minutes. It's a DVD video. We'll just run that in just a minute. Uh, And I'm going to let him, as the author of this course, uh, and by way of honoring him, uh, I'm going to show you that, and then I'll come up and make some comments of my own. But, but sit back and um, you know, cuddle up to one another if you're cold, as Richard so well said, uh, and just enjoy Tim Keller and the first session uh, on the gospel in life. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> the city... I love the definition there, which is anywhere of density, diversity, and cultural energy. Can we have the house lights back on, please? Thank you. And uh, and so that pretty well puts everyone of us in that place, places where there's energy, where there's population, where people gather. For me, I've been on a bit of a journey with this, but before I do that, I I think I want to just read uh, a a part of Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 11. So let's just go straight to that. Thank you, Tim. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 11. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat the produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. 
Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, one of the great, there are three great heresies in the Christian church, and the church has wrestled with these since the beginning of, since, since uh, Christ's time himself. And they are Gnosticism, Deceticism, and Dualism. Dualism is the one that is currently in favor. It expresses these three heresies reinvent themselves. In the 70s, we were looking at Gnosticism. Now we're looking at dualism. And how do you recognize that? You may or may not be familiar with that term. Actually, dualism is where we separate that which is sacred from the secular. We separate that which is sacred from that which is secular. What happens to society when we begin to let that get into its ascendancy? Business and, and, and culture and the city, if you like, if we can use that as a generic term, goes about its own thing. And those of us who are of faith are marginalized. Oh, will you do what you do? I wish I had faith, but I don't. You know, that's great. You do what you need to do, and you know, let me know when you're finished. It's, I'm glad you have it, but I can't have it. It's this kind of language. You begin to hear politicians protesting when the church uh, makes comments about morality and, and, and ethics and justice and righteousness. We, we get derided because it's seen as inappropriate that uh, that which is sacred, faith issues, are raised in the secular world. This is the ancient dualistic heresy. And the church has to resist that. We have to say, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I read it at the end of the worship time. It's all about God. It is all God's. And the city this place that we're thinking about this morning is the place where most of us live. Most of the world lives in a place of diversity, density, and cultural energy. We don't all live in lovely little thatched cottages in the Cotswolds. We live in urban areas, and the world is ever becoming more urbanized. So we cannot withdraw from the secular. We cannot withdraw from the city. We have to engage with the city and say, how does my faith work in this context? For me, this has been a very personal journey. Many of you know my story and Fliss's story, but when, when the Lord found us, when he, in the mid-70s, when he kind of rescued us, we were into business, and at that point, we had our own house in the country. We had very deliberately bought a lovely Yorkshire house, uh, stone walls in a valley. There was only one other house in this valley. We had three quarters of an acre. It was a symbol of our wealth, our influence, and our success. 
People came, wow, this is, came to our house, they'd say, wow, this is tremendous. One day, one day, we would love to have a place like this, and it was very desirable. When the Lord moved in our life, the first thing he did, which was extraordinary, was he caused us to leave that, and if you like, rather like the exiles, he carried us away into the inner city of Leeds. We lived in, in Bermatovs initially, and then in, in, um, in uh, Hare Hills. Sorry, where did we live? Beeston, not Hare Hills. <laughs> what are you talking about? Talking rubbish, Chris. But anyway, that for me was a huge thing. And I found then, not only that, but the first, I was unemployed for five months, having given up my business. But then I went, my first job as a Christian, I was fortunate, I was an industrial chaplain. In fact, I was the only lay industrial chaplain in the country. And uh, Leeds had this industrial chaplaincy, and they hired me to uh, speak to uh, and, and do uh, sort of life group type sessions with, with uh, industrial apprentices in the copper works in South Leeds. And so I was really thrust into the city. I was thrust into work and faith. I was, always with, I was always in that situation where I was having to explain what I was doing there in the copper works. 8,000 employees in those days in Hunslet in, in Leeds. I had to explain and justify what I was doing in there and that really set me thinking and I really had to work hard at, at drawing my, my faith which was all about the country and pastoral hills and rainbows and doves and bunnies and things. I had to pull that out of the Hallmark picture, birthday card type thing, and thrust it into the cut and thrust of an industrial setting in the northern city of Leeds. It was a, a baptism of fire, but it was good for me. It was good for me. And I realized that the gospel, our faith, is far more robust than you realize. And you find faith in the most surprising of places. So the city then is God's idea. It's not the devil's idea. It is God's idea. And as we see, as we will see in the very last of these sessions, which again I'll have the privilege of teaching, actually God's plan is that we all end up in the city. Life begins in the garden. You've probably seen that Hallmark card. But it ends in the city. The city of Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. The city has always been God's plan. And so we find ourselves living in the city today and wrestling with the challenges of it and the pressure of it and all the rest of it. And as, as Tim Keller pointed out, of course, sin has marred God's plans for the city. You know, when we first went to Leeds, I have to say to you, having been brought up in a, in a nice middle-class family and then done rather well and then been able to you know, separate myself from much of society and do what society seemed to say at that time, was, was what you did when you had lots of money. You bought a big house in the country and put up a gate at the entrance. I'd done all of that. Suddenly, I find myself thrust into the inner city, not just working in the copper works, but I'm actually living in, this, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the inner city. We took over a caretaker's flat, 15 pounds a week. And there were high-rises and back-to-backs all around us. And I have to say to you that my disposition when I first arrived, that I had so much stuff to work through in my personal mindset. I felt threatened from the day we arrived. I was threatened personally. 
And I was fearing for my family, my, ki- my kids' education, but the safety of my wife. Was it safe for her to take the baby out in a buggy? Was she going to get mugged or knifed or anything? like All of these kind of paranoia things. That was where I was living. It was a real grah. And consequently, I was really quite aggressive with people. I was quite hostile towards people. It was my defense mechanism. I thought, okay, I'm in the city now, the big, tough inner city. Yeah, watch yourself. Don't mess with me, guys. That was my, my default disposition. But in the five years we spent in the inner city, God did something to me because you start seeing life. You start seeing grace. Grace changes everything. You start seeing the presence of God, the kingdom of God there. It's unmistakable. In, the, in this little rundown inner city church that we attended, you've heard me say before, Fliss and I learned what it was to live in true community. Fliss and I saw people sharing their lives with, with one another. It was wonderful. Oh yeah, they had a fallout every now and then. Yeah, there'd be a bit of a... But they had an amazing capacity to get over it and get past it. Generally speaking, people didn't bear grudges. I have found that in in middle-class areas, people bear grudges. What I mean by that is neighbors, if they have a a fallout over the the Cypress-Lalande hedge, they they end up killing one another. But when you're living in a high-density situation, you cannot bear grudges. You have to learn how to get one another. So Fliss and I learned from the Lord what it was to live in community. People showed us extraordinary love and acceptance. It was was very touching, and it melted me. It was a curious thing when we moved from there after five years and moved into Chorley Wood. Many of you know Chorley Wood. We, we went on the staff at St. Andrew's Chorley Wood, and we had the whole, now we had the whole inner city mindset mentality. Well, we had, we had sold some of our belongings to move into this semi-furnished home in Chorley Wood, and so we had a little bit of money in our back pocket. And uh, we, 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 we wanted to you know, connect and get involved in the community there straight off. And so we started going along to a life group from almost the day one. And it turned out, when we arrived at our, uh, our life group uh, uh, you know, run, uh, leader's home, it was a great big house in Chorley Wood, but we went inside and it was a wreck. Absolute wreck in there. We went in the kitchen and the, uh, and the front of the cooker was hanging off. And I thought to myself, you know, you just can't judge by appearances. Look, these people are worse off than some of my friends up in Leeds in the inner city. Look at the state that they're living with. So at the end of that session, I said to, that evening, I said to Fliss in the hallway, I said, Fliss, have you seen their cooker? It's terrible, absolutely terrible. Look, why did I slip them 150 quid of that money that we've got just to buy themselves a decent cooker? So she said, go on then, that's a good idea. So I went up to them, I went down to the bank the next day, I, I got some money out, I went round there because we wanted to explain, you know, normally we just would shove it through the letterbox, but I said, look, I've got this money for you, go out and buy yourself a decent cook, and they said, no, we can't accept that, and there was a big sort of hoo-ha, and they were incredibly embarrassed. And, uh, you know, it went on for a few minutes, and I said, I, look, we can, 
here you are, you take it. And the person said, well, I'll talk to my husband about it, but really you shouldn't. Honestly, I said, no, where we come from, if you've got a duff cooker and I've got a bit of money, we're going to help you out. So we went away and got a little note, a little, pretty little card a few, couple of days later. Thank you very much for your gift. And we, we feel the Lord says that we should accept it. We said, right, great. Building community. This is wonderful. Three weeks later, they had some kitchen fitters come in and they had a 12,000 pound kitchen fitted. <laughs> well, I'll give me my money back. I thought you were paupers. <laughs> Flipping it. But you know, that whole business of community was worked out in the city. It was worked out with people, and you start seeing glimpses of this. Jesus says to us, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are to serve others. We are to do justice. We are to create and cultivate culture, and I'm hearing more of that. And all of you with a, a, you know, a, a, an artistic bent, be it web design, be it painting, sculpture, whatever, you know, God bless you in all you do. We have many creative people in this church. And, and all too often, you know, in recent years, art, Christian art has followed the culture. But actually, historically, religious art, Christian art, has always set the culture. And it's time we rediscovered that. It's time for us to create and cultivate culture. And then, of course, we are to encourage spirituality and to draw on that, that little explanation at the beginning of the film where Tim Keller was saying, you know, there were those who, when they were carried away into exile, you know, the Babylonians wanted them completely to sort of assimilate into the society and therefore eradicate their culture. Then there were those false prophets who were saying, keep ye separate from them, keep ye away from them and all the rest of it. And then there was Jeremiah who said, look, work for the city, serve the city, pray that the city prospers, but keep your own distinctiveness. Keep your own distinctiveness. That's the challenge for us. Not do we engage or don't we engage, but in our engagement, in our seeking to serve the city and the place where we live, the the communities from which we come, how can we serve them and keep our distinctiveness and not just disappear into the blur of it all? Finally, and I draw this to a close, Jeremiah 29 verse 7 issues a specific challenge Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. If it prospers, you too will prosper. We can serve, we can work, we can be salt, we can be light, and we can pray. It's probably one of the unique things that we can bring to the whole equation. We can pray that the city prospers. We can pray for our government. We can pray for our local councillors. We can pray for our local politicians. We can pray for the community. We can pray for the neighborhood in which we live in. We can pray because the city is hurting. The city is hurting. I have to say, at this point, I wasn't going to do this um, until a couple of days ago, but, but many of you will have been seeing and hearing about one city in particular that is hurting. And that is, of course, Christchurch, New Zealand. And uh, a friend of mine, Graham Paris, I think he's known to a number of you, he is currently in New Zealand, and I texted him early on in the week, as soon as we heard about this, said, Graham, what's happening? Now, last time I texted him, curious enough, he was also in New Zealand. 
He is a New Zealander himself, and he bobs there back and forth. And, and he said, the last time there was a, an earthquake, he said, you know what? It, it sounds terrible, but it's okay. This time I texted him, and, and he got he said, it is worse than they say. It is awful. I mean, the latest figures are 140 dead, but there's hundreds more trapped under buildings. A couple of our own members here, Diane and James Murphy, I don't know if you're in the house, but you emailed me, your daughter Charlotte's in Christchurch at the moment. She is uh, fortunately okay, but there are holes in the road you could lose a bus in. And, uh, and it's just the beginning. Now, now, fortunately, we're not dealing with a two-third world country there. There is an infrastructure there. There are resources, but it's not going to be magic overnight. As the Prime Minister of New, of, of New Zealand said, you know, this is probably the worst catastrophe we have all, all, ever faced. Uh, and I would like us just to pray for this city, Christchurch, just for just for two minutes before we wind up and rush off and have coffee. You know, pray, whatever the Lord prompts you, but let's do this as a community. We uh, are gonna send some money out to Grace Vineyard in, in Christchurch. There is a vineyard church there, a thriving vineyard church, not dissimilar to this one. We're gonna send them a little bit of money out there just for sort of emergency relief of, of people outside of the church. Uh, and uh, so we're going to do that anyway. We are doing that. If you want to send a bit of money as well and wanting to get it right there in, into the very heart of it all, well then by all means send a gift in or just mark it Christchurch Appeal and we'll make sure that that, that gets added to the gift. But that, that's, that's just something. But why don't we just turn to our neighbours now and two or three minutes pray for the rescue uh, services. Remember that they have families too. They may be being called upon to serve the city because it's their job, but their own families might be suffering. Pray for them. Pray for those who are still scrambling around in the rubble trying to find loved ones. Pray for those who are still captured and, and caught. Pray for, pray for the international response. Let's just do this for two or three minutes before we wind up. So just folks, turn to your neighbor. Let's pray for the city of Christchurch. If we can have the worship team come back up, please. Thank you. Father, we, we join together with our brothers and sisters, not just at the Vineyard Church there in Christchurch, but the church. We pray, Lord God, that you would comfort those who mourn. We pray for those who have been injured who have lost everything and stand to lose everything. We pray for those who are wondering where the next, what the next few days is going to hold. We pray for those who need food and clothing. We pray for those as, for, the, for the water supplies in the city. We thank you that power has been restored to 85% of the city. We pray for the 15% that haven't had power restored. We ask, Lord God, that you would stay the hand of the enemy in this and that community would spring up, that irresistible life force that is you would be evident in that place. We pray, Lord, for mercy and for compassion. And we celebrate your goodness because in the face of disaster, the Israelite, the Hebrews thought that it was a disaster when they were carried off into Babylon exiles, exiled from all they love and knew. Life would never be the same again. And yet you said, through your faithful prophet, Jeremiah, pray for the peace of the city. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We pray that blessing upon ourselves 
and the people of Christ's church. In Jesus' name, amen.